millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. A packed show tonight, so much going on, and some of it unscripted, like the chief whip arriving in Downing Street just before we came on air, and the head of Conservative Party Communications. Something's in the air, and unless we're very lucky, it isn't Boris Johnson's resignation. It's much more likely uh, that it's going to be a night of the long knives in Downing Street. A night of the long knives, and we can easily speculate as to who might be for the chop. An indicator was the release of highly damaging charges against the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, just this afternoon. You may recall that Theresa May sacked her from her previous job because of unauthorised dealings in defiance, in breach of the ministerial code. Turns out... Allegedly, she's been doing the same thing again for a donor, of course, and for British Airways. And the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Rabb, who was on a deck chair as Cabo fell, who couldn't be reached on the phone, who delegated to junior officials jobs that should have been done by himself, leaving in the low hundreds of British nationals behind in the tender hands of the Taliban. He might be for the chop too. I got a bet on this week for the next Prime Minister and I got 50 to 1 for her. I'll tell you later who she is. But, of course, the big story of the week was the 20th anniversary of the mass murder on 9-11-2001. It was murder most foul. Somebody in a conspiracy, premeditated, deliberately set out to murder innocents. As I said at the time, to kill innocent people for the crimes of guilty people is a sin in any religion, a crime in any jurisdiction. And that's what happened. Almost 3,000 innocent people were massacred live on television on 9-11-2001. Whoever ordered it, whoever carried it out, whoever collaborated with it, whoever covered up what happened, committed a very great sin and a very great crime. I have followed the story, of course, from the start. I saw the second aeroplane hit the Twin Towers live, as it happened on television. I had started to watch after the first aeroplane with its fins sticking out of the building, when it was just possible, though unlikely, that some freak aviation accident had occurred. As I was watching, the second aeroplane 
flew directly at the Twin Towers and slammed into it. And before the building began to crumble, the presses were rolling in London at The Guardian in the days that I could write for The Guardian with a piece by me, which began, remember, remember, uh, the 11th of September. And I made it clear then, as I do tonight, to the disappointment of many, that I was in no doubt then and am in no doubt now that the motivation, the inspiration for this act of mass murder emanated from uh, the ranks of Al-Qaeda, from Osama bin Laden and people with the mindset uh, that he had already uh, fully developed by the time of this great crime. That doesn't mean that nobody else is involved in the conspiracy. I'm perfectly persuaded that there was a conspiracy, and that was before the release, partial release, of heavily redacted papers by President Biden just this week, which demonstrate a beyond contradiction that high officials in the Saudi Arabian regime were in close and continuing contact with some of the hijackers of the airplanes on 9-11. That at least one of the high-ranking intelligence service officers of the Saudi Arabian regime passed money, tasked his inferiors in his apparatus to work closely with these, and I quote, very significant individuals unquote, who were there in the United States to do, quote, important work, unquote. We now know what that important work was. So the first question that arises, if high officials within the regime of the dictatorship of Saudi Arabia were and were known at the time as a result of FBI investigations to have been involved in a conspiracy with people who later hijacked airplanes and flew them into American public buildings, killing thousands of people, why was the response not to target Saudi Arabia, but to target Afghanistan and then Iraq instead? Afghanistan had nothing to do directly with the events of 9-11, but has now endured 20 years of Calvary, crucifixion, because they had on their territory the aforementioned bin Laden and the aforementioned Al-Qaeda. Of course, they were there in Afghanistan because they had been sent there by the United States government in the 1980s. Supported by the United Kingdom government, uh, the Egyptian government, the Turkish government, and many other friendly NATO members uh, across the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. They had been sent there, given money, given weapons, and given endless propaganda coverage 
are by the very same Western media that was waxing so lyrically on the 20th anniversary yesterday. Particularly for older viewers and listeners, ITV News, ITN, News at 10, that was the house journal of what they called in the 1980s the Mujahideen, the fathers, the uncles, the older brothers of today's Taliban, of today's Al-Qaeda. They were sent there on the morally bankrupt principle that my enemy's enemy is my friend. Even though your enemy's enemy might be worse than your enemy, even though in building up your enemy's enemy, you are constructing a Frankenstein monster that will immediately, on construction, move beyond your control. Or perhaps not always beyond your control. So Afghanistan was punished twice. These Islamist head-chopping cutthroats were sent fully armed and financed by the West and its satrapies in the Gulf to bleed uh, the supporters of the government, the only government there has ever been in Afghanistan, the organized for girls and young women to go to schools and universities, that vaccinated uh, the whole population of Afghanistan for the one and only time against horrific diseases that for millennia had cut them down. A government which brought into common ownership the feudal lands on which the Afghans had worked for millennia as serfs and slaves. A government that tried to drag Afghanistan into the modern era. And as I said to Margaret Thatcher on the eve of the fall of Kabul, to the fathers of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, you have opened the gates for the barbarians and a long dark night will now descend upon the people of Afghanistan. And so, of course, it did. The Afghans were punished twice. The Iraqis were murdered in their hundreds of thousands after hundreds of thousands of them had already been murdered by the cruel, eviscerating sanctions regime that was killing Iraqi children before those children even knew that they were Iraqis, but were being killed for no other reason than that they were Iraqis. That's why I cannot take seriously the fake grief of the commentators and of the politicians who did so much to drag the world into this pit, this disaster that we are still in and will be in throughout the lifetime of the youngest person watching and listening to this show tonight. Afghanistan and Iraq were followed by Libya, followed by Syria, followed by Yemen, 
the thirst for war of these blood-sucking masters of war, masters, I said, though I could have said a word that sounds quite like it. These masters of war are not finished yet. As I said earlier, no sooner had the war in Afghanistan come, though perhaps only temporarily, uh, to an end, the Wall Street Journal was openly positing the question that the United States may be forced. They're always forced. They don't want to do it. It's Johnny Foreigner that makes them do all these things to go to war with China. I'm here to tell you uh, that any war with China will be the last war. It'll be the Third World War, but it'll be the last World War. It'll be the last war. It'll be the last anything in the history of the human race. Because unlike Iraq, unlike Afghanistan, unlike many of the places attacked by NATO over these last 20 years, China is well able and absolutely willing to fight back with everything that she possesses, and she possesses much. We'll be talking about Prince Andrew. You know, when you're reduced to saying the papers weren't served on you properly in accordance with the law, it doesn't do much for your reputation when you're being accused of serious sexual offences. And when you've gone to Balmoral Castle to hide in the skirts of your mother, your 94-year-old mother, the sovereign of Great Britain, in order to avoid the bailiffs, it's not a good look, Andrew. I really hope, at least for your mother's sake, you're going to do better in the court in New York this very morning, next day, Monday, is the witching hour for Prince Andrew, the man who doesn't sweat. And we'll be talking, of course, about the remarkable scenes last night with Donald Trump. He was paid a very large sum of money to be a commentator at the big fight last night. There were thousands of people in the auditorium they couldn't get enough of Donald Trump. He chant, they were chanting four more years. They were roaring every sight of him, every sound of him. The working class, blue collar America that go to these boxing events wants Trump. As did the firefighters in New York, it looked to me, as they posed in their hundreds around Trump who didn't go and stand with the phonies at the memorial. He wasn't going to stand beside these hypocrites. He's a hypocrite in his own right and in a different league from the others. And he stood there amongst all these firefighters who had plunged into the fire, losing four hundred firefighters almost, who perished 
as they plunged into the fire in the Twin Towers on 9-11, whilst George Bush was cowering, wherever he cowered, on the day that all this unfolded. My last point is this. The rehabilitation by liberals in the United States, closely followed by their hypocrite echo chamber here in Britain, of George W. Bush, literally turns my stomach. This imbecilic war criminal has been repackaged, varnished, and put out there as some kind of American hero. The man who introduced the Patriot Act. The man who made Guantanamo famous. The man who tortured people in Abu Ghraib. The man who kidnapped people and renditioned them all over the world to black prisons to be tortured. The man who led the invasion and occupation of Iraq, which has killed a million people and counting, spawning ISIS along the way. The man that began this nightmare, which has lasted virtually the entirety of this century so far, is now packaged by The Guardian, by the BBC, by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, by their online progeny as some kind of unifying figure, some kind of hero. Now, here's the first poll of the evening. Will Prince Andrew testify in the U.S. courts tomorrow? A, yes, B, no, C, strings will be pulled. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube channel, and on my Telegram. And I think the votes are pouring in. Now, let me tell you about the podcast. Last week was another fantastic week for us. Another listener record broken. Moats, the podcast, had its daily listener record broken once again this week and is now listened to in 81 countries, including Indonesia. My missus will be very happy to know that. Senegal and Tanzania. So remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us, if you will, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you're a Spotify user, please follow us and share with your friends so more people can enjoy Moats the podcast. To say I'm not a tennis fan would be a, a, an understatement. In fact, uh, although I briefly as a schoolboy showed some uh, skill with a tennis racket, uh, I used to turn up at the courts dressed like Alf Tupper, the tough of the track with fish and chips and paper uh, by the side of the court. I was in all the colours of the rainbow. I didn't have white sand shoes, I didn't have white shorts, white I didn't have a white towel. So I was kind of persona non grata. 
And I, I never recovered from the shunning I got uh, from the tennis establishment. In Britain, at least, it tends to be a very middle-class sport. But I, along with, I'm certain, the entire British people was jumping with joy at the victory of the rank outsider, Emma Raducanu, from Britain, a young girl, a teenager from Britain, who had to qualify for the US Open and became an overnight international, worldwide phenomenon. At least I hope that's how they see it in the United States. Let me ask Rachel Blevins uh, if that is true. Uh, Rachel, um, apologies for coming over to New York and winning your Open Tennis Championship. How have the American people taking it? I, I would say congratulations to you and your country on that one. You know, I think that unfortunately it's one of those things that really didn't get a lot of coverage except more so in the sports world this week because it has been really a crazy week over here in terms of coverage and we've had a lot of everything related to the 9-11 anniversary that has dominated really our media coverage and so unfortunately while she did have an incredible feed I don't think she got quite the day in the sun in the United States, although I'm sure I'm sure she got a lot more uh, coverage in the UK than she for sure. Did and here. Uh, and uh, at 18, she's going to be with us for a long time. Uh, I hope. Let's go to 9/11. Uh, uh, I saw some of the US coverage. I saw a lot of the British coverage until I had to switch off because, of course. Only a person made of stone would not be moved by the recalling of these horrific events, this foul act of mass murder, killed thousands of people and intended to kill thousands more. The more, the better from the point of view of these murderers. It's impossible for me to look at George W. Bush and see him be rehabilitated in front of my eyes, hear people describe him as a unifying figure, all because he's not Donald Trump. It's very, very difficult to stomach, Rach. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he was even allowed to speak yesterday at all, and the fact that anyone was paying attention to what he was saying, I think is a travesty in and of itself because it shows that in 20 years we have somehow forgotten all of the horrific crimes that his administration committed. I mean, 20 years, and yet the United States is still dealing with the actions today. We're still in Iraq. We're trying to get out of Afghanistan, it seems, in some ways. But, you know, when you look at the Bush administration's legacy, it is insane to think that anyone would stand up and listen to him and refer to him as any kind of unifier. And the speech that he gave was even more so troubling because he was sitting there lecturing the public on not just paying attention to extremists abroad, but also paying attention to extremists here at home. Home. And that's been a really troubling shift that, you know, a lot of people have been worried about, especially over the last year, especially looking at a lot of the political division is that, 
the United States is done looking at terrorists abroad and trying to stoke fear over what they may do. And instead, they're looking at the, at the possibility of terrorists here at home. And, you know, when we think about what Bush has done and we think about the reception of it, I mean, it is just crazy to see him along with the Obamas, the Bidens, the Clintons attending this 9-11 memorial and people talking about how great they were, how they were heroes, as if it wasn't these politicians, these war criminals that have led us into the very position that we're in today. And, you know, of course, because it was the 20th anniversary, you had a number of documentaries that came out. And there was one that I was watching that specifically interviewed Bush, it interviewed Condoleezza Rice, Dick Cheney, some of these top members of his administration. And it was bizarre to see that they were sitting there literally chuckling, saying, oh yeah, on September 11th on that morning, you know, we, we had no idea what was gonna happen. We didn't know, you know, we, we were totally unprepared for this or for anything like it. I mean, it makes the United States look just laughable when you have an administration that acts like that. And 20 years later, that's suddenly their take on it. Yeah, and being lionized, uh, you know, they should be in jail. George yeah. Bush and Tony Blair should be in prison. Uh, but instead, on primetime on the BBC, and it must have been true in the US, they're lecturing us all uh, as if, you know, they committed none of the Guantanamo, Abu Ghraib, extraordinary rendition, torturing prisoners, killing a million people in Iraq, spawning ISIS. Uh, and so on, as if none of that happened. Now it's yeah, cuddly it's George Bush. Oh yeah, everyone wants to talk about he, how he's the old grandfather who is now a painter and that's kind of the light that they put him in, not talking about the fact that there are thousands of family members who are fighting for some kind of truth, who are fighting for the United States government to be honest about what it knew, when it knew it, and on top of that, I mean, I know that there's been a lot of talk about the FBI's investigation into 9-11, whether those documents are ever going to be fully released. Biden kind of did a mini release where he, you know, released 16 pages that were, of course, very heavily redacted. And you think about those thousands of family members who went through this horrible atrocity and then they have to sit there and they have to watch these politicians who have lied to them, who have campaigned on the promise that they are going to fully release those documents, that they are going to make the truth known. And yet they get into office, they don't do it. Biden you know, did a, the bare minimum really of what he could do. And those family members have to sit there and they have to watch the media parading these politicians around. I mean, it's a slap in the face all over again 20 years later. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, um, it was Hamlet without the prince, wasn't it? New York <laughs> City. Uh, the, he was like a ghost. He wasn't there, but he was there. In fact, it turned out he was being photographed with hundreds of firefighters. That was a cute move, uh, on, uh, in my opinion. I wouldn't want to have been in the shot with uh, Clinton, Bush, uh, and Obama. I'd rather have been in a shot with firefighters. It was quite a clever move. And if you saw him at the sports event and saw how the people reacted to him, he's definitely not finished, Rachel. Oh, I would agree. And I think it was, you know, sort of the perfect day for Donald Trump, if you want to call it that. He started out meeting with first responders. And these are really, I mean, you're talking about the blue collar workers. These are the people who helped get him into office in the first place. And so these are going to be the first people he goes to to tell them 
how proud he is of them, how thankful he is for their service to take photos, to, you know, go through that whole rigmarole. And it's interesting that he did that, especially at a time where you have all the other past presidents that are over here at their memorial. And then you've got Trump over here doing his own thing, sort of making his own pathway. He doesn't want to be seen with the rest of them. It was a very smart, you know, public relations move on his part. And then, of course, he hops on a private private jet and goes down to Florida to be a commentator for a boxing match. Now, that was seen as an absolutely bizarre move. But of course, you know, it's Donald Trump. He's going to make it work. And on top of that, I mean, he's got people in the crowd with signs that say, bring back 45 and Trump won. And these are his people. And so it's interesting that we didn't quite, we're still waiting for that actual announcement that he's going to run again in 2024. But we got just enough of him to see that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Lastly, Rachel, uh, uh, although it's obviously a bigger story here than over there, I wondered uh, if people were looking forward eagerly uh, to Prince Andrew, or at least his lawyers, appearing in court tomorrow, uh, or whether they, like our viewers and listeners, think there's not an earthly chance of Prince Andrew facing the music. Yeah, I think it's going to be, it may be a while before we see Prince Andrew actually appearing in court here in New York City himself. And it's interesting to see that this is one of those stories where we've really watched, I mean, credit to Virginia Gouffray, who has worked tirelessly to fight for some sort of accountability for just a few of Jeffrey Epstein's contacts. I mean, we look at Jeffrey Epstein and the fact that the majority of the people who are in his inner circle have been able to walk free. We don't even talk about them anymore. We don't address them. We don't wonder where they've gone up to. And yet it's people like Ghislaine Maxwell, who, you know, they say is still behind bars, is still working on her case. And when it comes to Prince Andrew, I mean, the fact that his lawyers responded and said, oh, well, they didn't serve the papers to us correctly. I mean, that was laughable, but also completely ridiculous. And it shows you that his team is not worried whatsoever about the possibility of him actually having to get into court, actually having to testify and actually having to show whether or not he can sweat, because you know that that is going to be the first thing that happens if that day does come for Prince Andrew. But until then, I mean, it feels like the sort of the rallying cry to continue to call for accountability for Jeffrey Epstein's associates, it's still, it has gotten so minimalized, but I mean, it's still there in some cases. Now, it's said that he uh, can't sweat, or he said that he couldn't sweat, but it was revealed today in the newspapers that he's a big fan of Finnish saunas uh, with a bit of birching uh, afterwards. That would be a very odd recreation if you sat in a sauna but couldn't sweat, don't you think? I I would say so. I mean, I think he's kind of gotten himself into that hole on that one. I mean, who who makes a comment like that? Who for if, for that to be your defense? I mean, that's that's something else. I think I'm I'm almost curious. I would love to see the man testify and curious to see what else comes out of his mouth. But at the end of the day, you know, you just hope that maybe one of these days the women who were abused by Jeffrey Epstein and his associates who were taken advantage of, who had their lives completely ruined by these people, that one of these days they will also get their day in court. Well said. Thank you very much indeed, Rachel Blevins, our Thank U.S. You. correspondent. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. 
Darren is in Southend. Go ahead, Darren. George, how are you doing? Lovely. All right, sir. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's been. It's like it's, I've been watching you for years, George. What attracted me to you was that the, the, was the the press, the, the bitter uh, press that was towards at you. And I don't like like the big guys. I like I fight for the small guys. Now I've, I've always you. been I've always been inspired by you, George, with your opinions. It's always been truthful, and and and, and I love love your opinion. What I was going to ask you, George, was I was curious as to. The last few weeks, you've been insulting Biden. Now, I know Joe Biden has got his history and stuff like that. I'm not going into that. As a matter of fact, there ain't a politician out there, as far as I know, that hasn't got a bad history. But you've not you've not mentioned Trump. You've just reported on Trump in the last few weeks. Now, I've noticed that that, that the opinion on, on Joe Biden has been rather personal from yourself, and the opinion on Trump has just been reporting. Now, I'm aware that Russia today was like, this is a Russian-based program, so Trump was good for Russia, which, which, based on my understanding, things worked out there. So I don't want to know where... I don't want to head into the area of, of it being propaganda. But like, I, want it, I want you to know that I do understand Joe Biden. Like, there's nobody in America at the moment that I could say... Who's a good guy, and and pretty much the UK as well. It's, yeah, and well, well, I agree with you uh, on that, but I have to take, uh, I have to set the record uh, straight. Far from Donald Trump being good for Russia, he was catastrophic for Russia. The fake Russia Gate uh, coup attempt to overthrow him, to invalidate his presidency, on the grounds that he was a Russian agent or asset was so dangerous to Donald Trump that he became the most anti-Russian president in modern American political history. We could go through the uh, cancellation of the uh, INF, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, uh, the withdrawal from the, uh, the Iran nuclear deal on which uh, Russia had invested... Uh, so much. The sanctions against Russian diplomats, the closure uh, of the consulate in San Francisco. I could go on, but time is uh, running. So it's simply, I'll let you back in. It's simply not the case uh, that Trump was good for Russia and therefore by implication that I might be saying what I'm saying about Trump uh, because this is Russia today. First of all, I would never do that. Secondly, Russia Today, RT would never ask me to do that. And in a decade working with them, they have never, ever asked me to say or not say anything. So what I'm doing, Darren, is giving you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion is this, that Joe Biden is a grasping, thieving, murdering crook and a liar of the, to the nth degree. Now, Donald Trump is a completely separate thing, and I'm going to tell you what I think of him also. But it's not either or, Darren. If you despise Joe Biden, that doesn't mean you love Donald Trump. You have to shake yourself out of this binary thinking. I have followed Joe Biden's career for 49 years.
49 years I've followed Joe Biden being a mouthpiece for every war, every torture camp, every crime committed by the US empire has had Joe Biden as one of its mouthpieces. I despise him and I think that it's highly dangerous for the world that the United States has as its president with his finger on the nuclear trigger a man that you wouldn't send out to buy a loaf. That's dangerous. Now you call that personal. It's not personal. It's what I'm observing with my own eyes and hearing with my own ears is a danger to the peace and security of the world. And he murdered 10 children just last week and told us that the father and his children were ISIS, Khorasan suicide bombers. It was another lie. It was another murder. Darren, last word to you. George, I fully agree with you, and I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I did think the Iran deal, the pullout there, was America uh, was was Trump's personal thing. Um, also, that that when 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 uh, Trump did win, I believe that war was on the on the on the verge with the Democrats, the way they was with Obama and stuff like that. And, mm. and That's Trump a fair getting point. in, That's a fair Trump point. getting in made it made it a little bit more yeah. e easier. And That's now a fair war point. is. That's yeah, a yeah. good point. Good point. And uh, uh, you, when Trump runs, as I believe he will, trust me, you'll hear the full blast of what I think about Donald Trump. But what I am doing, Darren, I'm trying to explain to the audience why Trump, after all that trouble, why Trump is in with an outstanding chance of being re-elected. If we don't want to understand why, then we're foolish indeed. Darren, thanks for the call. Chris is in Canada, in Calgary, on the same subject. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, wow. Just uh, listening to what you just said, it's like I said five years ago, um, I'll just substitute Hillary for Joe. The good news is that Trump lost. The bad news is that Joe won. <laughs> Very good. Well, Very good. Yeah. I've called a couple of times about 9-11. Uh, if you really want to get closer to the truth, uh, maybe you could get um, Dr. Judy Wood on your show. She's written, uh, she's a Ph.D. in um, all sorts of related uh, science disciplines, engineering and mechanical, such and so forth. And I spent an hour and a half today watching her, uh, a lecture of hers, I've got another hour to go get through, but uh, she's written something called Where Did the Towers Go? Now, thoughts on Trump. Um, I think, given what he inspired on the 6th of January, uh, by the way, uh, that was an inside job, because we all know who the Mr. Big was, Mr. Big Liar, uh, the head inside man. <laughs> Have you, uh, have you caught the uh, actual audio where those people are charging into the Capitol yelling, hang the vice president? Did you get the uh, audio? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure I did. Uh, but uh, yeah. I've, been at, I've been at rougher football matches than, uh, than what you're calling 
an insurrection on the 6th of January. Got to tell yeah. you that, Chris. I, well, I, I, I've, I, I've, I've been in more troublesome situations uh, uh, standing yeah, I, in Downing Street. Hey, you, do you want to know more of what's happening in the world right now? Of course you do. But getting to the heart of the story, well, that's going to take some hard work. That's why here at the Mother of All Talk Shows, we've created that program just for you. Hosted by one of the world's most sagacious minds. Get a perspective, an education on stories from all around the world, dissected and discussed with you. Join our debate, vote in our polls on Twitter, tweet your question to George, or call in now to give us your perspective on the stories the rest of the world simply isn't talking about. Join the College of Knowledge, where there are no tuition fees. Hosted by one of the world's greatest orators, the mother of all talk shows, with George Galloway. Let's make sense of the world together. James Halliday says, fabulous opening statement tonight. No wonder people love the mother of all talk shows. Many thanks, James, uh, for that. Uh, Tom says, two great crimes. One spawns the other, 9-11 Afghanistan. And Idris says the West demands an inclusive government from the Taliban, which includes all the ethnicities and women. How about asking your friends in Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain and elsewhere to do the same? Very good address. A 4X Gold says, yes, George, the Saudis are the convenient hitmen of the United States. Uh, Afghanistan in the 80s, Syria and Libya in the 2010s, etc. ad infinitum. And John Rooney says, George Orwell, the war isn't meant to be won, it's meant to be continuous. The British Empire is sending a warship to China. Is China next? Unfortunately, John, it's our only warship, really, and the Chinese could sink it just like that. It's a stupid, foolish waste and risk of our best naval asset, which should be defending our own country, not to mention the thousands of naval personnel on board. Sean Murphy says, Al-Qaeda and ISIS were created by the USA. USA, you reap what you sow. And Alexandros says, Afghanistan was destroyed twice by the American regime. Firstly, when they sent in the Islamists, and secondarily in the war, and with the same monster they created. Another Sean, Sean Calder says, how do two buildings designed to withstand a direct impact from an airliner fall, free fall, into their own footprint? Grenfell didn't. In fact, no other high-rise building has ever fallen due to fire. And Jack Klugman, great name, says the New York Times just showed that the Pentagon droning after the Kabul airport bombing killed a father and his children, and they totally lied again. It's worse than that, Jack. <clears throat> not only was the father uh, that they killed not an ISIS terrorist, he was an aid worker working for a US aid charity. Not only were the people in the back of his pickup truck not on their way to a series of suicide bombings, they were not people at all. 
but water bottles. And thirdly, they didn't just kill the father, they killed his 10 children as well. Fair uh, play to the New York Times, which uh, revealed all of that information I have just given you. Now, it's a, a, a vexatious story, vaccination, these days, though I'm not entirely sure why. Almost all of us have been vaccinated uh, as children against uh, all of the diseases that used to lay us waste. I get the point that the COVID vaccine is uh, experimental in the sense it has not gone through the long period of trialing that other vaccines have done, but it could scarcely be so uh, because the world faced an emergency that at the time looked as if it might become the Black Plague, which I, I remind you, wiped out a third of the population of this country. A third. At today's population equivalent, that would have been in excess of 20 million people dead. Now, it didn't turn out that way, uh, but the drive for a vaccination and the rollout of the vaccination is probably the only two good things uh, that we did in our handling of uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I've had the jabs twice and I'll have the booster uh, when it comes along. Uh, I figure that it quite obviously is not going to stop you getting COVID, uh, but has a fair chance of stopping you dying from it. And that'll do me. But equally, I'm entirely opposed to compulsory vaccination. I'm entirely opposed to uh, COVID passports, which it seems this day that the uh, Boris Johnson government is now retreating from, leaving, as oftentimes, the Scottish government of Nicola Sturgeon up the creek without a paddle. She is going ahead with COVID passports, and she was doing so on the assumption that Boris Johnson was going to implement them here in England. Uh, so I don't know how she'll handle that. I'm against it. I'm against it for all kinds of reasons. It is a kind of apartheid that they have in mind. I have no idea uh, if the eminent physician, Dr. Bob Gill, a man who's done more to campaign to save the health service in Britain than any other person. He's one of my heroes. He is a GP, although God knows how he fits it all in, because you'll find him on the campaign trail almost perpetually, fighting for the health of our people and the health service which underpins it. And I'm glad to say he joins us now. Dr. Bob, thank you. Uh, for joining us on board the mother of all talk shows. Uh, I gave you my position on the vaccines. What's yours? Hi, Joe. Thank you for inviting me on. I agree with your uh, points about avoiding compulsion. I think that's not a, a direction we should be going in, in healthcare in this country. Vaccine passports may seem appealing to some, but the worry is this is a thin edge of the wedge. Uh, it might be a gate, uh, a device for entry into accessing healthcare in general. 
and it's a very divisive step. And what does it, what function does it serve? Because if you've been vaccinated, you can still get infected and you can still transmit the virus. So there's no logical reason that a passport uh, means that you can't be spreading the virus. So it's a flawed idea and it might lead elsewhere, which we don't want to go as a nation. But in terms of vaccine apartheid, well, in the last few days, um, Professor Sarah Gilbert of the uh, AstraZeneca Oxford team uh, cast doubt on the need for a booster virus, certainly uh, booster vaccine, sorry, certainly for a large proportion of the population in this country, because the work they've done with their trial uh, patients is that this, after a year of being vaccinated, they found the level of protection by the two vaccines that the people have already had is still relatively high. So the case to have a third booster is weak for the general population. There is an exception, of course, those highly vulnerable people with a defective immune system, and that's about half a million people uh, in the UK. But for everybody else, the case is not being made strongly that a booster would be that helpful. But it wouldn't be harmful, would it? Well, it wouldn't be harmful, but we, we, we live in a world where, for example, in Africa, the percentage of population vaccinated is around 2%. And as you said earlier, over 80% of this country's adults over the age of 16 have been vaccinated. So where would that vaccine do the most good? And we all, all, all realize that, you know, this is a global pandemic. Uh, variants can arise in unvaccinated populations. The more we let this uh, fire continue to burn in, in other countries, then the risk will of a new variant developing, which is vaccine resistant, coming back to bite us in the bottom, is still there. And we have to weigh up that risk against the benefit, the small marginal benefit that a third booster jab uh, would give us here. Why do you think uh, the Tories have U-turned on this? Uh, it seemed as if uh, Boris Johnson was going for the vaccine passport. Uh, and it seems, from the health secretary's comments in the papers today, that they're backing off. Why? I suspect there may be pressure amongst the sort of libertarian wing of the Tory party to avoid going down this road. Maybe they've seen the protests uh, in France and uh, across other, other European countries against the idea of a vaccine passport. So, you know, they don't want to fight on multiple fronts. I don't think the, the uh, agenda of getting some sort of uh, person identification, whether it be on the back of vaccine, vaccination or some other ruse, that will pop up again, I'm pretty sure. But uh, at the moment, they've decided to duck the issue. Uh, the travel issues, I, I haven't yet tried. Looks nightmarish to me. Uh, but if I was to decide to take the Channel Tunnel uh, tomorrow. Um, how do I prove that I've had the double vaccination? So there is a, an NHS uh, site you can go to and print off the fact that you've had the vaccination so that you can present that as evidence and, and there's no problem with that. Uh, despite being vaccinated, you could still transmit the virus, so you need to do lateral flow tests, although they're unreliable, but they're, they're required before travel. Uh, and it's still very complicated. Um, and Sachin Javid, Health Secretary today, is hoping to drop the requirement for the PCR test for travellers returning to the UK. But that is also not a very scientific thing to do because the lateral flow 
test is unreliable and the PCR is the gold standard test. The, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're the expert. I bow to your superior knowledge. But Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm getting the sense, although I believe entirely in the vaccine, I urge everyone to have it, it has not provided the level of protection that perhaps people thought it was going to. I, I was in a cab today. The man, like me, had been double vaccinated. Uh, he wasn't that younger than me, so he was a, a, an older man, but quite fit. Uh, and he got COVID, and it nearly killed him. He was 10 days flat out. He collapsed in the street and so on. Um, am I right in saying that, that most of us thought that the vaccine would provide more protection than it actually has? I think the public generally have, in this country uh, have a great faith in vaccination programmes in general. The problem with the coronavirus vaccine is that although it gives you protection, it's not complete, you are still susceptible to get the infection, but we do know that if you've been double vaccinated and you get coronavirus, the chances of you becoming seriously ill, requiring admission to intensive care unit and potentially dying are dramatically reduced. So it's not perfect, but it's the best thing we have. It's the best thing we have, and, and it's a no-brainer uh, when you put it like that. Uh, it's bad. He said to me, please don't get it. Well, of course, I'm not in control of that. I might catch the coronavirus, but however bad his was or mine would be, uh, he's, he didn't die of it and he's back at, he's back at uh, work. 80% you say, Bob, uh, That's in right. Britain. 2%, 2 in some of the poorest countries. Why is that? Is there a shortage of the, of the serum or just a shortage of money in poor countries to pay for it? There are several factors. At the beginning, the, the drug companies refused to remove their patent on these vaccines, so that limited the production. Certainly production in other countries wasn't ramped up. So there's, there was a, almost like a protection racket in progress. Um, now, Western countries have bought up the capacity, the, you know, most of the world capacity for producing the vaccine, and th there's uh, accusations of vaccine hoarding in terms of utilizing future capacity and production. Now, you know, there are moves 
some powerful voices saying we need to remove the patent protection, we need to boost production overseas, and we need to strongly consider the opportunity cost of providing a booster here as opposed to giving a first vaccine in countries like Africa. The first vaccine provides a lot of protection over and above what a, the small additional protection that a third booster might provide in the, in the richer countries. So that is the balance that, that uh, yeah, people have sure. to make. Yeah, uh, sure. In a sane and rational world, that would be a dichotomy uh, that would be worth uh, making a decision on. But how to put it? Uh, it's a false dichotomy because if they don't give it to me, they're not going to give it to a poor country that can't pay for it instead, are they? Well, that is the problem, although the, the WHO did set up a system where the rich countries could subsidise vaccination for the poor countries. But, you know, the, the rich countries, the US, the UK, were major obstacles for the removal of the patent. So they drove up the cost themselves. And you have to wonder whose interests are the government serving? Is it big pharma or is it control of the pandemic on an international basis? And I'm afraid they've, they've towed the line for big pharma. Doctor, you're an officer and a gentleman. Thank you very much for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Jim is in Florida on 9-11. Go ahead, Jim. Hi, George. Hi. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to mention that in your opening, uh, in, in your opening elegy, really, for, uh, for 9-11, um, I wanted to say that that I agreed with with every point you made, except that you tended to reinforce the official version of events, which just doesn't hold water. Um, the, the, there, there's two words that can um, that can kind of puncture that whole view, and those two words are Building Seven, which collapsed all by itself with nothing hitting it. Um, most of us. Most of the people I know here in America are agreed that 9-11 was an inside job and that, yes, although there were all those uh, crazies from Saudi Arabia and elsewhere who were involved, and yes, uh, I, I'm, I saw the planes hit the buildings, too, uh, on, on my television, you know, minutes after it happened. But uh, the, the actual engineering evidence is that thermite was used to demolish the buildings. They fell at exactly, you know, they fell exactly straight down, exactly the way demolished buildings would. There's, and, and that's not just, that's not just my word. There's a, a lovely website called uh, Architects and Engineers. Yeah, I've had them on the show. Truth. In fact, uh, when I briefly oh, had uh, Moats Extra, uh, we yeah. interviewed uh, the top man from that outfit. Actually, we should put that out as a podcast now, uh, Chris, if you're uh, listening. Uh, and, of course, he makes a, a powerful uh, case. Um, here's my problem with it. I'm not uh, uh, disagreeing with you. I think there's a lot of things about 9-11 we don't yet know. Uh, we didn't know until this week that high-ranking Saudi diplomatic staff were openly and repeatedly working with people who would later fly the buildings into, uh, sorry, fly the airplanes yeah, fly the into, airplanes the, into the, 
Buildings. So there's lots Absolutely. we don't know. Lots we don't know. And uh, Building 3 is... Uh, 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 the, the third building is a very uh, powerful and as yet unanswered uh, conundrum. Uh, I suppose I have two problems with your thesis. Uh, the first is, if you're going to fly airplanes into these buildings, why would you also need uh, to demolish them with thermite? The terrorist atrocity of flying airliners into uh, two of America's landmark buildings would have been quite sufficient uh, for a casus belli, uh, for a war against uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Islamist Absolutely. forces around the world. My second uh, problem with it is the conspiracy, if it were, of an inside job would have to be so significant uh, because if unmasked, it would bring down the whole political system in the United States. It wouldn't just bring down a government or a party. It would bring down democracy itself if it were revealed to be the case that the American government uh, conducted this whole thing themselves, that so many people would have to know about that, that 20 years on, they'd probably have uh, sung by now, if only for a fee. Last word to you, Jim. Um, well, I, 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 I agree with your points, George, and, and I, I think they're completely, uh, completely plausible. Uh, I think that perhaps... Um, I don't think the, the, an entire government agency had to be concerned. Um, it's a matter of, of elements within. In, in other words, many of us compare 9-11 to the Reichstag fire, for example. Yeah, words, well, the jury's, out, the, the, jury, the jury's out on that one, too. Jim, it's been a pleasure you got it. Uh, disagreeing with you, uh, or not really disagreeing, a friendly uh, exchange. Neil is in Epping in Essex. Let's hear from Neil. Go ahead, Neil. Uh, hello, George. Hi. Uh, long time admirer of you. Thank you. I was with you with the first 9-11 in Chile, uh, in the Chile Solidarity Campaign. Wow. Please um, excuse my being out of breath. This is my first call and the last call as I have a terminal illness. You were true to us all the way. During the miners' strike, I had miners staying with me. Uh, my surgery supplies were opened and roughly resealed. My partner, who'd, uh, my senior partner, who fled uh, from one lunatic called Idi Amin, uh, when I explained to him about the, uh, he said, "Go ahead, I'll do any, I will cover you." But you always give us hope, George. Uh, we love you. Keep fighting for the cause. Keep fighting for Assange. Uh, and. I was sorry, I was too ill to go up to Batley. I wanted to, uh, I wanted so much to be there. I was really on the on the marches against the Iraq War, uh, uh, and I, I, I would recommend everybody sees your your moats with the Miami Show Band, explaining what Britain Britain's depredations in Ireland, and your David Kelly DVD is an absolute masterpiece. None of my colleagues believed that. Uh, David Kelly killed himself. Uh, and your work for Palestine is wonderful. And thanks again to you, and also Mr. Ben and Mr. DL. And also, 
Jeremy Corbyn for giving us hope before the war criminal Blair and his henchmen has got to him. But thank well, you very that's, much. Well, uh, that's the most powerful call perhaps we'll ever have, uh, Neil. I'm, I'm humbled and moved uh, to have uh, received it. Uh, I, 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 I pray that God strengthens you. Uh, Thank you. And that uh, that you live long. Uh, I pray that the spirit that you have displayed in that telephone call, despite your breathlessness, despite your illness, uh, is heard and emulated by others. Uh, it is a long story. We've been together, as you say, from 9/11, 1973 and probably also before that. But 1973 was the first 9-11 yeah. when yeah. the United States murdered the president of Chile, destroyed the parliament of Chile, coordinated from the war room in Washington, uh, the Chilean Air Force overthrowing the elected government of Chile, which was known as the England of South America, a highly developed democratic country. And of course, Neil, as you know, uh, the leader of the fascistic coup uh, that overthrew President Allende uh, was later uh, invited to tea with Margaret Thatcher whilst the Foreign Secretary, Jack Straw, the Labour Foreign Secretary, Jack Straw, fixed it so that Pinochet would not be extradited to Spain where he was wanted on torture charges. Last word, Neil. Well, thank you. It's been an honour talking to you. And any time I get down in the dumps, I watch you knocking, knocking the people on Capitol Hill for six. It's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. God bless it's you. Thank you. Talking to you. Thank you, Neil. God bless you. Uh, now, uh, Difficult to know what to uh, say after that. Uh, Neil, thanks very much for that call. It's really touched me. Uh, I've got so much social media, I'm not going to even uh, make a dent in it. Uh, but Marek says, I'm about 50-50, to be honest. Trump's no spring chicken. <laughs> say that again. He's an old boiler. But at least he's still got his faculties, which is more than can be said for some. Ian Muir says the name Trump will run, but will it be Donald? Very good point, Ian. And Slimanx says probably only case I don't see him running is if Kamala is president come 24. And John Marsh says, yes, he'll run to the nearest shelter if there's any trouble. Sean says, I hope he runs, even though I wasn't massively impressed by his performance. And Joe says, not the Joe, one thing for sure, he's too egomaniac to be kingmaker unless one of his sons decides to run. What about his daughter? As for the rerun, unless the GOP does something to stop the Trumpism wing, he will definitely run again. And Pat Brannigan says, Hillary Clinton is an evil stepmother type. Oh, well, we better not tread on these uh, eggshells. Uh, because I'm joined by my good colleague, Shadia Edwards-Dashti, who uh, works at RT UK, but is increasingly uh, power 
in the broadcasting world uh, across the globe. Uh, Shadia, thank you for joining us. I asked Rachel if Emma Raducanu had made it big in the US media, and it turns out actually rather not, uh, because they had uh, uh, so many other things competing for space in the media, 9-11 and, and all. Uh, it has been an extraordinary explosion of interest in this 18-year-old girl uh, here in Britain, hasn't it? Have you followed that? Absolutely. As a woman in sport myself, it's so amazing to see her do so well. Of course, uh, just a few weeks ago, she stumbled a little bit, but she came back so fighting, so strong. And it's just amazing to see a woman do so well, but not just a woman, but a young woman at that, taking on uh, the media by storm, but taking on not just the nation here in the UK, but globally. It, it really was, I think a lot of people in the UK were just hoping and praying she would do it because it really represents and symbolizes something much bigger than I'm sure she could probably appreciate right now. But it's just incredible to see. The mental strength was astounding. As you say, she disappointed at Wimbledon. She had to qualify for the US Open. Uh, and she didn't drop one set. How's that for remorseless focus? I think, you know, in some ways, maybe her age actually played for her, with her, rather than against her in this sort of space, because maybe she didn't feel uh, all the years of maybe some other professionals in the same sector that have so much pressure on them to live up to reputations and so on. And sometimes it's better just to be like, whatever, I'll give it my best shot. And if it's not good enough, then fine. And if it is, well, as it is, and it has been, it really, really paid off for her. But yeah, there was a lot of pressure on her. But in some ways, because she was a bit younger than majority of whom have done so well, it might have just made her think. She had nothing to uh, nothing to lose. Yeah, you're a football. Exactly. You're a footballer, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I, I would like to put myself out there as a footballer. I play in Sunday League, so it's not very uh, high up there. But, of course, we keep it as competitive as if it was the World Cup every single Sunday. Yeah, of course. I, I play my small children as if it's the World Cup. It's very exactly. cruel. It's very cruel. I bowl them out of the way uh, <laughs> in order to battle down on... Uh, uh, George, you uh, cannot get footballer. onto the pitch. Stay yeah. on the sideline. Exactly. As a footballer... You must have been impressed by Cristiano's return. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't go back to Manu, oh my goodness, there would have been absolute tears. But it's great again for Britain to see his return. I think so many football fans, it doesn't really matter what football team you support in the UK. Everyone's just like, the king is home. Exactly. Now, look, uh, the, the, big, the, the king is home, but the prince is hiding behind his mother's skirts. It's an unedifying spectacle, Shadia, isn't it? A, a man of 61 hiding behind his 94-year-old mother, trying to uh, avoid the bailiffs uh, um, tendering legal papers on him. 
Look, I think this really speaks about the monarchy in general, really, uh, and talks about privilege, the heart of what privilege really means in this society. Also, capitalism, at the end of the day, it really does feel like money is total power, uh, especially here in the United Kingdom. And it feels like you can do no wrong, uh, commit the worst kind of crimes and just hide behind that pillar of the state almost. Yeah, um, but the... You know, she's got poor Queen Elizabeth. She's got all these sons embarrassing her uh, to uh, one degree or another. But Prince Andrews is of a, in a way, a different order, isn't it? He, he's evading justice uh, in a serious uh, criminal case uh, of alleged sexual assault. Why is the British media not up in arms against him. They kick lumps out of Prince Harry uh, for far lesser uh, offences than uh, is alleged against Prince Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing this time and time again. And with Prince Andrew, it's honestly, it's completely shocking that the media is allowing him to get away with it. It's almost like, let's just turn it to the back of our newspaper. Let's not really uh, dig into this and really hold uh, the powers that be accountable. That, as you say, Prince Harry is vilified uh, by the media and he is almost seen as a scapegoat for the rest of uh, the monarchy and the royal family. But really, when we look at the face of it, look at what Prince Andrew is doing. He, he should be in jail right now. Well, he, uh, anybody I else would be on, uh, would, they'd be on remand anyway. Uh, poor Julian Assange has uh, been on remand for, for years. Uh, and he's not uh, facing uh, the allegation that Prince Andrew is. Uh, Boris Johnson, there was some thought that there'd be a reshuffle in Downing Street tonight. Doesn't appear to have materialized, but Quite a few of the British ministers' jackets are hanging on a shaky nail, don't you think? Oh, totally. Not just on a shaky nail, but really on the floor right now. To be quite frank, a cabinet reshuffle should have happened a long, long time ago. But then again, when you talk about a cabinet reshuffle, you have to think, well, who on earth from the Tory party would replace the cabinet? Good we point. are looking at a really weak Tory government, not just in terms of who's in the cabinet, but also Tory backbenchers as well, because they're not really pointing the fingers of blame or at the Tory party in check at all. So we look at these uh, big in, in the Tory party. We look at Matt Hancock, look how he's fallen. Sajid Javid, a terrible replacement. Preeti Patel, absolutely awful. We have so many ministers. Dominic Raab, who's at the forefront of all of these uh, controversies as of late. This is beyond a tiny cabinet reshuffle that we might need to see. Uh, but actually, at the crux of it, I would say a total, total shake-up, not just a little tiny reshuffle, but a total shake-up of who is governing uh, the United Kingdom. And yet, if they were to fall tomorrow, the opposition front bench is as bereft uh, of uh, talent and ideas and any kind of plan for... Uh, taking Britain out of the crises, multiple crises that we are in. I've not known a time, and I've been around a long time, uh, when the two front benches between them 
could barely muster a statesman or a stateswoman uh, between them. Uh, how did it get to this, Shadia? How depressing is this, George, that neither the Tory party or the Labour party, the opposition, can't even oppose? This has got to a really, really tragic state. And I think, you know, the first glimmer of hope for the left was Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and obviously in 2019, in the general election, it went so terribly wrong. People weren't getting behind him. I think that's where uh, this all this sad, sad story, this sad chapter really does begin. The huge loss in, in the 2019 general election for the left, really. Uh, and it has just got worse and worse since then. Yes, the Tory party are now working with a stronger majority than before, 80 seats, that's fine. That still doesn't mean the opposition can't oppose. But what we're seeing is Keir Starmer he doesn't matter a word on anything. Even the pandemic, which arguably wasn't a political uh, situation, but that doesn't mean you can't hold the government to account of how they're handling a health crisis. You can still put political points uh, against the government, and he simply couldn't do that. So if, a, if the opposition can't even oppose on a health grounds, how on earth is he supposed to oppose on a political grounds? And we're really getting to that sad, tragic state where the Tory party they won all of these red wall seats. They turned from red to blue based on huge fundamental lies by the Tory party. But it was simply Keir Starmer's just not able to win anything back because he's just so weak. This is the anniversary uh, of uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn becoming Labour leader. And of course, despite the tidal wave of attacks, uh, propaganda against him. He came within 3,000 votes of becoming prime minister in, uh, in 2017 and then crashed to defeat in 2019, uh, in part because he was forced to adopt uh, a policy on Brexit, uh, which was guaranteed to lose uh, all these red wall seats that you refer to. What is the future for Jeremy Corbyn, if he isn't readmitted into the Labour Party, what's the point of him continuing to be a member of it? Well, just to say, you know, on, on the Brexit, uh, uh, when you're referring to Brexit there, particularly in the general election, um, Obviously, it did. The general election of 2019 definitely turned into another referendum of sorts, and we did see that in very uh, various ways, with many seats turning to blue because they were more supportive of Brexit in certain areas up and down the United Kingdom. As for Jeremy Corbyn, I think he was really pushed and pulled, tugged in so many different directions, uh, because majority of the Labour Party are centralists. They're not really left-wing activists at all. So I feel like he was being pulled in many different directions, which in some ways probably didn't go to his uh, credit or benefit in, in many ways. But in terms of where Jeremy Corbyn sits now, I personally think it's absolutely atrocious how Keir Starmer has treated him considering that Keir Starmer was supporting him uh, when he, they were trying to get uh, the general election, campaigning for the general election in 2019. 
completely backstabbed by Keir Starmer, but quite frankly, Big Corbyn is now free uh, from the from the shoulder blades of uh, Keir Starmer, who's pressing his hands down onto Jeremy Corbyn and many other politicians. He's now free from that burden and free from the wrath of uh, Keir Starmer that, quite frankly, he can now go about and campaign exactly how he used to, without having to conform or abide by any rules. And at the end of the day, uh, we both know Tony Benn so well, and he said he left Parliament to get more political. Yes, exactly. Uh, thank you, Shadia, very much indeed for your debut on the mother of all talk shows. Most interesting. Thank you, thank you, Lovely to so see much. you. Thank you. And good luck in the football. I'll be thank looking you. out for your uh, result. Thanks, Shadia. Uh, will Trump run? Yes, 77%. No, 16%. Kingmaker? 7%. That's gone up uh, one. Uh, let's go to Canada again. Federico is on the line. Always a pleasure. Federico, welcome. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, George. Thanks. I have another option maybe for the uh, next presidential uh, run in the United States. Tulsi Gabbard, maybe. Uh, she can do something good for the nation. It's going to be difficult. Well, there's a lot of good Trump. people, but not, uh, she's one of the people that would be good, but she just doesn't have the support. She couldn't raise the money and, and she wouldn't get the nomination. That's true. That's true. Okay, George, I wanted to speak a little bit about uh, towers. I am a journeyman welder. I am uh, qualified on steel. I can build the Golden Gate. I can. I work with steel that is more than five eight inches thick, and I know what they can support or stand for. I'm not an engineer. I'm just a welder. But I totally agree with. The Never guys say that. that. Some of my best friends are welders. Go ahead, Federico. Uh, yes, and, uh, but I do agree with the engineers that um, talked to you before, George, and the sense that is impossible, literally through physics, through the laws of physics, that the three towers just came down the way they did. And uh, there's um, a hypothesis that I would like you to consider. If, uh, to me, the laws of physics are um, exponentially uh, uh, proof that that was totally planned. How come Dick Cheney, how come George Bush, in 20 years, didn't have any answers about what happened in this case when the laws of physics proves. Well, they're definitely, they're definitely hiding something, uh, pr probably a lot of things, Federico. But exactly. again, yeah. again yeah. I'm, I'm back to my two questions. If you are going to fly airplanes into these buildings, why would you need to take the utterly uh, uh, terminal potentially terminal risk of seeding this building with explosives and bring it okay, down when I you were going to fly airplanes into it anyway. It wouldn't be the first time they uh, try and accomplish something like that. Uh, you know the power that the Pentagon has on the media. Uh, investigator journalism, investigative journalism, as uh, Max Blumenthal made a program yesterday about these issues. And oh, I'll look out for that. I'm a big admirer of Max. Sure, but they only not only mentioned that. They can get away with it because they control the media. And if you see the uh, documentary, which is a movie, actually... Well, they don't control Netflix. this media. Uh, they're not controlling our conversation now. And there's a million well, people. Thanks, there's a thanks, million thanks. people around the world uh, listening and watching to this show every week. So... Uh, 
yeah, controlling the okay, media. They don't control RT. Just consider the hypothesis that this was planned with complicity of high spheres in the United States. I think you cannot just reject that hypothesis. I don't. I, mean I don't. I never reject any respect. hypothesis. But just consider that hypothesis, yours, because it's very probable. They have done it before with the Gulf of Tonkin. They have uh, get away with a lot of financial yeah, issues. But they, 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 they profited with the war. They profited with the war in yeah, Iraq. Yeah, no, but you're not answering my fundamental point. Why do both? Why not either blow up the towers or hijack airplanes and fly them into the towers. Why do both? Hey, Why do both? George, the, the democracy doesn't exist, not even in, in England. That's not what not I'm asking you. I'm asking you, a welder, uh, I'm asking you, why do both? That's nothing to do with controlling the media. It's nothing to do with democracy oh, not existing. Why do both? Federico. Okay, nobody can uh, uh, literally disagree with the mainstream media, and you saw that the years after. Now we can speak, but in the years after the events, nobody was. I'm asking you. Last time, uh, third, time. The, the, third time, the commission. third time. Third time. commission was a All right, uh, enough, enough, like enough, now. enough. Chris in Colchester. Let's hear from him. Chris, welcome. Hi, George. Hi. Yeah, I can answer that question. But first, I'd just like to say um, I'd like to offer my support to Neil uh, in Essex. I know he's the same county as me, and that was very upsetting to hear. It was. It was uh, very, very moving, well, yeah. But you're welcome to give him my number if he needs any help. Um, cause, okay. Um, that was distressing to hear. And, you know, I'm always supporting anti-war, well, anyone that's in that situation. Yeah, so, I'll do yeah. that. I'll do that. It's very yeah. kind of you, Chris. He's probably right. he's probably listening uh, and well, watching hopefully. still. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, yeah, well, with regards to 9-11, um, the, the thing is that there were, on the day there was reports of explosions in the base of both buildings, but everyone focused on, on Building 7 and how, how fast the buildings fall. I mean, if someone burned my house down and I saw someone screeching off in a van, I, w I wouldn't be focusing on how fast my house was falling down. I'd want to know who did it. And like you laid out earlier, Saudi Arabia, there's a direct link to Saudi Arabia. Direct. And that wasn't the only help they got. I mean, And why have we had to wait 20 years to get that news, Chris? Well, because of these kooks that keep talking about how fast the building fell and thermite and all this garbage that is put out intentionally to, as a red herring. I mean, there's state, it, the, 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 and, and again, the, the, look at back to the 93 bombing where, where they tried to blow up the trade tower, but it was botched uh, because they parked the, 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 the truck in the, wrong, in, in the wrong place. But exactly the same thing happened. If you look, there's reports of explosives in the base of the building. It wasn't wired with blood, blimmin' thermite and everything. There was explosives in the base and people were arrested. People need to look into that, but we need to look at the anthrax because that's one of the most important things. That is what linked Iraq to Al Qaeda. This yeah. fake meeting in and that Prague. came that came from Fort Detrick uh, from an American. Yeah, Bruce Ivans, who uh, killed himself apparently. But yeah. the meeting in Prague between uh, Iraqi officials and lead uh, hijacker Mohammed Atta. Yeah. yeah, that was a the witness by Israeli security forces, apparently, but it never took place. Made the front Amtrak. page of the Sunday Times, I remember it, as if it was yesterday. Yeah, 
And that's what we need to look into. Where did this anthrax come from? These letters sent death to America, death to Israel. So that you need to get Ryan Dawson on. I'm sorry. You know, you need uh, there'll be smears about him, but we need to forget about people like Richard Gage who got on uh, loose chains. This this stupid uh, documentary that was on even Netflix. I mean, and people cite this, like a missile hit the Pentagon. Where did this missile... It was a plane that was... It is such an insult to the people who died on 9-11. It was a plane. People died in the plane. A plane flew into the Pentagon. The wreckage was there. The, the traces of DNA of the human beings that died were in the Pentagon. People died in the Pentagon. And these idiots keep on going about missiles and holograms and stuff. It's ridiculous. That's, this is what puts people off at 9-11. Chris, a wonderful, wonderful call. Thanks for it. Downloads of the podcast, huge numbers, are downloading this week's highlights in the UK and in the US, but also in countries like Japan, India, Denmark, Saudi Arabia. You probably get executed for that. Korea, Switzerland, the UAE, and Hong Kong in China. Thank you for all the great reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts and including this one. In British politics, Mr. Galloway stands as the last bastion of sense. Like a fine wine, he gets better with age. I have been a fan of his since 2002. I would recommend anyone to listen to him. The best podcast around. Thank you very much indeed. That was a touching testimony. Thank you so much. If you do listen, give a five-star review. Why don't you? You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I had the terrible misfortune of learning about the day that Cinderella went woke. My children love Cinderella. And in truth, so have generations of children. But it turns out that it is a deeply sexist, misogynistic piece of work. The wicked stepmother wasn't really wicked because women can't be wicked to each other. She's just a frustrated Lady Dunsertan Ash, with a difficult relationship with her stepdaughter. Her stepdaughter doesn't really want to marry a prince, although my daughter does, and plays at Cinderella most days. Cinderella really wants to get on in her career and doesn't want to be kissed back to life doesn't necessarily even like apples. Cinderella actually didn't want to marry a prince, didn't want to marry at all, because of course that's the old patriarchy game. The new film of Cinderella has the prince who, as my next guest put it, uh, quite brilliantly, how shall I put it, he said, doesn't look as if he'd be really that interested in a princess. He does ask Cinderella for her hand in marriage, but Cinderella turns him down. She wants to put her career first. It is a rewriting of history, a rewriting of our culture, 
but it's also dreadful. It is utterly boring and bereft of any, any circumstance that might have made Cinderella the story that Disney made it and that entertained so many generations of our young people. Michael McCaffrey is our resident film and culture critic, and I'm glad to welcome him back here onto the mother of all talk shows. Michael, you must have, because I'm sure we pay you to do so, you must have watched this dreadful film. Tell us about it. Um, hello, George. It's great to see you again and, and you. great to be here. Uh, yes, I watched this movie for no other reason than I was paid to watch this movie. God help me. Uh, I did not receive combat pay, at least not yet, but I think I should have. Um, you sum this movie up pretty good. It's, it's a really dreadful, dreadful movie. It's, it's amateurish uh, at best. But the thing that struck me about it when I was watching it was, my goodness, it is so relentlessly, aggressively woke and uh, meaning to indoctrinate really young girls into this sort of uh, worldview, which, you know, you, you can have your opinions on that, but just to give you a, a slight taste of how wonderful this movie is, um, you're correct, Cinderella is interested in her career first. She actually has a line where the prince, you know, says he loves her and she says, well, if I have a choice, I choose me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's how educational for people to be so uh, self-centered. Good for her. But she, she doesn't want to be the princess. The prince doesn't want to be the prince either. He doesn't want to be king. So thankfully, they wrote in a character, Princess Gwen, who is the younger sister of the prince, who is very frighteningly similar to Hillary Clinton. She's she's. <laughs> very smart and no one listens to her all these men just ignore her the uh evil uh stepmother of course is not evil at all she's just misunderstood because the patriarchy took away her dream of being a musician um oh and and the fairy godmother is not uh, a fairy godmother it's a genderless godparent um played by billy porter uh, in an extravagant display of horrible acting. And uh, James Corden shows up as well, which should make everybody so excited. James shows up playing a, a fat mouse, um, which, you know, as I said, my piece feels a little bit like typecasting to me, but hey, <laughs> your, <laughs> your mileage may vary on that. But this movie is just relentless in in its sort of, political uh, point of view being put, for, put forth, uh, well, forward. As you describe it so brilliantly, it's bound to win the Oscar and break box office records. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Well, as it, it's funny you bring that up because the, the film is on, it's streaming on Amazon. And Amazon, as I wrote about this year, and I'm, and I'm sure you, you're aware, they have new rules, you know, mandatory quotas in their uh, entertainment products. And it's not just quotas in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. And in the narratives they're allowed to make. Disney has done the same thing. Of course, last year, the Academy Awards came out with their new rules that if you want to be 
considered for an award, you have to have certain quotas uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera, and in the story. So this fits right in. Of course, considering how useless the Academy Awards are, this should get nominated multiple times this year because it fits, it, it checks all the boxes that they think they need to check to get in. Of course, God help us if it if it does. I can't imagine it would. It's it's so dreadful. It's remarkable how awful this movie is. It, it really is. And I just want to say to you, George, you're welcome for having me watch it so that you don't have to. <laughs> There's a lot of our viewers and listeners saying that to themselves <laughs> right now. Uh, the one thing that you can, I think, uh, be sure of is that our daughters will not be clamoring to see it because it is bereft of all magic. And when you're a little girl, trust me, I mean, my daughters are the daughters of revolutionary parents. We are not royalists. We are not capitalists. We are revolutionary people. But our daughters, for some reason, are interested in palaces and princesses and unicorns and princes kissing princesses and asking for their hand in marriage. So if that's my daughters, I think most people's daughters are the same. So it's not likely to appeal uh, to young girls, is it? Who, does, who is it made for? Hillary Clinton? Well, that's the question, right? Who is it made for? And of course, the reason it's made at all is because James Corden produces this, by the way, um, uh, and it and it's it's a jukebox the plot musical. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, strike two, and it's a jukebox musical, which he has sort of made a career out of his, uh, you know, carpool karaoke. So it's popular songs, and the lead in it is Camila Cabello, who's a pop star. So it's meant to sort of appeal to a certain strain of young girl, but it doesn't, and who it really is meant to appeal to is the people making so that they can sort of signal their virtue of, oh, look how progressive we are. Look how, uh, you know, on the surface, of course, their pro progressivism, um, that sort of thing. Now, it's interesting, Cinderella, the, the fairy tale, you, you know, uh, came to prominence in 1950 with the Disney uh, version, which has been enormously successful. It's very well done. Um, but it gets made sort of every generation. In 97, Whitney Houston played the fairy godmother in one. Um, Hilary Duff was, was, in 2004, was sort of at the height of her popularity. She played Cinderella. And just a few years ago, I think it was 2015, uh, Kenneth Branagh directed a version of Cinderella starring Lily James. It had, had a terrific cast. Kate Blanchett was in it. Helena, Helena Bonham Carter was in it and it was very very faithful to the original material um and and that film which you know i i would not run out to a movie theater to see just because it's not for me but that movie made half a billion dollars wow and it, it you know it didn't win any awards it wasn't a big deal but it made a ton of money and it made a ton of money because the cinderella fairy tale as as all fairy tales do it's why they resonate with people connects with people on a much much deeper level than just the surface uh story of 
oh, a boy meets a girl and, and you know, she becomes princess, he's the prince. It's, it works on an archetypal level, which is why little girls love it. And little boys actually watch those things and, and appreciate them. The archetypal level is not about uh, a woman being subservient to the man who quote unquote saves her. It's about the coming together, you know, and, and this is Jungian psychology, so forgive me if it's a bit much, but um, it's the coming together of the opposites. So the, the feminine and the masculine come together as equals to create the whole, and the whole is the kingdom. The kingdom is made whole when the prince finds the princess and they come together in agreement, the feminine and the masculine. Heaven and forfend. Heaven for faith. Yes, yes. We'll be run God out of here, us. Michael. Uh, the very <laughs> idea of it. Uh, I, I don't know if you're a football fan, but yesterday was a miraculous day. Cristiano Ronaldo. I was going to mention it, George. Yes, I was going to mention it. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, set the country alight uh, with his return to Old Trafford. And all of my life, which has been a long one, there's been a man of the match. I noticed overnight that Cristiano Ronaldo is now the player of the match. Even oh. though he's a man, even though it was men's football, and everybody on the park playing with him and against him was also a man, he cannot now be called man of the match. Just think about well, that. Well, thank goodness for that, because uh, <laughs> how, how damaged would people feel if Cristiano Ronaldo was the man of the match? That, exactly. would, that would harm so many people. That's an act of violence, George. I'm sure you know that. Michael uh, McCaffrey, well, you, are, uh, you are the <laughs> oracle on film and culture, and I'm glad to say you are our man. And the check's in the post for watching that <laughs> movie. Uh, now, it is... The diamond wedding anniversary, the 60th wedding anniversary, 60 years, the legend Norma in Bristol. Congratulations, Norma and George. Oh, George. Oh, that's, and no, Roger's my husband. Yeah, I know. Roger. They've, they're oh, just, uh, what they're doing is pulling <laughs> my leg here. They've put up Norma and George in Bristol. Roger. <laughs> I knew that. Yes. Happy anniversary to both of you. Go ahead. Yeah, that was ever so kind of you. And all my Twitter friends as well, because they all gave good wishes. And, you know... Well, we it's a... not... I mean, not everybody makes it to 60 years married. Oh, I know. <laughs> Can I you know, still remember your wedding day with Clarity? Yes. I, I had the book out, and all my grandchildren and, and sons were looking at the pictures, you know, because they brought cakes and that. Anyway, George, How wonderful. I did, thank you, I did want to say, Shula Edwards, she made the sports point that I was going to make, which was okay. But Ronaldo, I think, well, very, very good, great thrills. But Emma Raducanu, I mean, she and the other girl, Leila Fernandez, they played a fantastic game. Yeah, both of them were and, great. Um, both of them are teenagers. They were, yeah. She was good too, that Leila Fernandez. But, I mean, um, Emma Raducanu made history. And there is a bit of snobbery around tennis. I actually played it till I was 67, George. What? Um, yeah, I did. I did, I'd say. I loved it. But it is very middle class. I know that. 
But people, if they enjoy when it's football, well, snooker, you see, the, but the the more successful our people are in these games, the more people come into them, and the less snobbish and exclusive yeah. uh, they become. So if all the girls in the land, inspired by Emma, uh, if a decent number of them take up tennis, it will begin to yeah. change the character, the nature uh, of the tennis establishment. I felt humiliated when I was at the tennis. I was only yeah, I know what I was you only mean. sixteen. I, know what you... I was only sixteen, yeah, and I'm... I knew they were looking down their noses at me because I didn't have yeah. the right gear, Norma. Yeah, there is, there is, George, because um, I actually joined the club uh, just before I went for some tennis coaching and stuff away, but I did join an over an, a retired people's club at the last two years, and they weren't very nice. They were all sticking together, and they weren't very friendly, but I just liked playing tennis, and I wasn't that bad either. It is, no, you know? well, I wasn't that bad uh, either. It is a no. wonderful game. Uh, and and it, would be, it would be terrific if, uh, if more people took it up. Yeah, last point, Norma. Yeah. Well, you know about these Pfizer vaccinations? Yeah. You were saying about, well, I've had the two, and I've got a signed card, which is given to me, uh, was given at the time of the injection. Oh, I didn't get to that. Record that I've, yeah, well, I've got this little card, and I carry it around, and then anybody, it's easy, anybody can see that I've had them. I wondered if they give it out to, generally to people. Well, they certainly ought cards. to. Uh, it's uh, been marvellous, Norma, and I wish you and Roger a very happy 60th wedding anniversary. Both of you are diamond geezers, so far as I am concerned. And it's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you, and if it was, come back next week at the same time, same place. Bring another viewer or listener with you. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.